Welcome to Cine Simplified, a podcast about all things cinema simplified. I'm Jason Dadliwag. And I'm Ryan Akiza. And we're going to be talking about everything film and television. From stuff you should watch. And stuff that you shouldn't watch. New gems in festivals. And on streaming platforms. Interviews with distinct voices in front of and behind the camera. In the hopes of proving that you don't need to be in film to talk about them. In this episode, Sundance 2022, Simplified. How are you, Ryan? <laughs> uh, okay, so, well, now I know that we really need to find quiet places when it comes to yeah. podcasts. And I had a little brother who had an online class. And you might hear him throughout this episode as well because he's watching hilarious videos on YouTube. But anyways, that's pretty much it. Uh, how about you? How are you, Jace? Very tired. The sleeping patterns are horrible. But I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. What are we going to talk about today, Jace? We are going to talk about the Sundance Film Festival 2022. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Sundance. What is Sundance? I'm clueless about this. It's about a sun dancing. It's about <laughs> the sun and its orbit around... Well, no, the sun doesn't orbit. But the Earth orbiting no, around the sun. No. <laughs> So what is it? What what's Sundance? Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with film festivals, like globally and stuff, um, we're talking about the Sundance Film Festival. So the Sundance Film Festival is um, a film festival that happens in Park City, Utah. It's organized by the Sundance Institute, and it's the largest independent film festival in the United States. Um, If you're not familiar with Sundance as a festival, maybe you're familiar with some of the films that premiered at Sundance. Ryan, can you tell the, our listeners what those films may be? Maybe they know it. Well, you know, just a couple of very small films like Get Out, uh, mm-hmm. Flea, the recent Oscar-nominated Flea, Little wow. Miss Sunshine, and I think a horror favorite, Hereditary, uh, the yeah. low-budget horror film that sort of kick-started James Wan's career, Saw, mm-hmm. and also a lot of other, you know, well-known films like Whiplash, Palm Springs, and mm-hmm. what are other films can you find in Sundance, Jace? Well, I what I really love about Sundance is that they give rights to gems like, you know, Never Really, Sometimes, Always, by um, like Hitman, um, A Thousand Cuts by Ramona Diaz. Um, if you're not familiar with it, I think it's on, I think it's still on YouTube right now. Um, Uh, 500 Days of Summer for my fellow sad boys. Um, Blair Witch Project, which is a cult classic. Um, found footage, starts the found footage thing. And if you're not familiar with it as well, Ang Pagdadalaga ni Maximo Oliveros, which is a major film in uh, Philippine queer cinema. That's a very good example of a Sundance film. And so, yeah, Sundance is a big deal. Um, this is a place where in uh, different film festivals, Uh, this different film distributors get acquisitions. So films like Netflix, National uh, Film Distribution, and there's um, a big corporations like Netflix, National Geographic, uh, Amazon Prime, etc., etc., Apple TV. Uh, they get films from Sundance. So it's really kind of a producers um, festival. Ayon. Uh, that's why a lot of these films that. Uh, make it to Sundance, we eventually do get to see again. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about five like recommendations that we have each 
um, from Sundance. So yeah, Ryan. Uh, Before that, uh, so I'm... I think Jace here was lucky enough in order to get a sort of press invite for Sundance and was able to watch a lot of films from the confines of his home, actually. So he didn't have to go to Utah, he didn't have to go to US. He yeah. was able to see some of these films online. And like originally, it was supposed to be face-to-face. But then the mm-hmm. Omicron variant uh, raged through the US and here in the Philippines as well. And eventually, they shifted to online. That was a controversial move viewed yeah. by many, especially because there was this whole issue about refunds, especially for the people who already got festival passes and everything. But how was the online Sundance experience for you, Jace? Okay, well, the online experience was actually fun. I think that there were people who were complaining about the quality of the films, like actual like physical quality of the films. Because um, you could only kind of stream the film at I think five forty maximum, something like that. Um, but I do think that the films themselves were really good. Um, yeah, I, I I had a fun time. I think that there weren't a lot of lags on my end. Um, I could get I because I was pressed. I got to watch like films that were region locked in other places. Um, yeah, and I and I and I liked the festival itself. Um, I didn't really get to go to all of the other um like all of the other talks. I got to go to some Q and A's, but I didn't go to you know um Sundance forums. Uh, New Frontier, which is like their section wherein they kind of explore um, different kinds of film, like VR and stuff. Uh, definitely the online format was, I guess, as best as could be. Um, I think there was initially an issue about whether or not the film that we were going to, uh, because um, it shifted purely to on- online, like our initial slates of films were like cleared, but they were nice enough to kind of give more slots to us so that we could select. So, you know, we for press, you get to watch either Premiere, um, which is within the first, I think, four hours of film screening, like actual screening, or a second screening, which is available for like 48 hours. Um, and yeah, you can only watch the films once, uh, but you can kind of replay even until the very beginning uh, as long as you don't end the film itself so yeah, it, it was actually a pretty great experience on my end i don't know what it's like for like paying audiences uh so yeah well for paying audiences like myself uh uh-huh. it is sort of i don't know like a bit overwhelming because okay. there's so many films but yeah. also that's kind of nice like if you have the money and the time then go ahead and watch absolutely anything you want. Yeah. And that's also something that is largely, well, historically inaccessible to us, like from that's Asia. True. Yeah. Because, like, it's hard to go to the US. It's hard to go to Utah. It's hard to get those mm-hmm. tickets. So this was sort of a nice change of pace. But obviously, I think lots of people mm-hmm. still have sort of their qualms about the online experience because the theater experience is king. So there we go. Uh, thank you for sharing your online Sundance experience. And what a lucky bastard he was. He got so many films available to him at his disposal, just at his home. Uh, all right. So let's go to five brief reviews slash uh-huh. recommendations slash hate letters for these Sundance films. So most of 
the films that Jace is going to say I haven't seen because I've only seen like five Sundance films from this year. And I think, how many did you watch, Jace? I got to watch around 47 or more. Um, yeah, but it was kind of weird because obviously that's a combination of feature films and short films. I actually imagined that I would watch more short films, but I didn't, which is new for me because I love short films. Um, I feel like for me, I, I will be able to talk more about short films than any other film format. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited to talk about this. All right, uh, let's start, Jace. So, Jace, okay. what's the first film that you would give sort of a review or recommendation or hate letter to? Okay, um, I would love to talk about, for my first film, I would love to talk about a horror film. So, Sundance is pretty well known for horror. I guess I want to talk about horror itself. Um, my first film is a film called Speak No Evil. Um, it's by a director uh, named Christian Tafdrop. Um, I, I, I think that's how you pronounce it, Christian Tafdrop, yeah. And it's initially, so the logline is basically a Danish family visits a Dutch family they met on a holiday. And what was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly turns into, slowly starts to unravel, like as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. And uh, this was picked up by Shudder. Um, if you're not familiar with Shudder, it's a, it's a film horror film like archive basically a distributor um it's kind of like the netflix for horror <laughs> and everything um and i love this film i i genuinely think that this is one of those those excellent films wherein you could be watching it on star movies and it will just you know slowly turn sour um there are some really great performances here but especially by um uh the primary couple which is their names are Bjorn and Louise so that's Morten Bjorn and Sid Selstein Koch I think um and you know it, it begins really as kind of um kind of uncomfortable like they would do like one of the couples like the Dutch family does some uncomfortable things like they forget that that the girl is vegan so they feed her wild boar or um they make their guest's daughter sleep on the floor um you know and then you initially think that you know these they're just forgetful or they're just they're trying to put on like a nice face and everything but then slowly you start to realize that something more insidious is happening and you kind of don't want to believe it at first it kind of punishes you for being polite and i mean here in the philippines like obviously like <laughs> being polite and being hospitable is such a huge thing to the point sometimes we don't really want to tell people when they're overstepping our boundaries when they're disrespecting us when they're pushing us to our limits and I think that this was incredibly relatable on a, on a just an uncomfortable, like being uncomfortable in a family gathering, for example. Um, but I think like as it slowly descends into like true horror, um, it's really hard to look away from. Even if like everything that happens on screen is something that you should be looking away from. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's my recommendation. Like do you have any questions? Uh, so this is... This is a Danish psychological horror, right? 
kind of. Actually, I, I don't know if it's a psychological horror or if it's like a mystery horror, a mystery drama. Like, on its sleeve, it doesn't really say that it's a, a horror. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It really, it really lulls you in and pretends that it's not something that it is, you know. Um, and I think psychologically, like, we train ourselves to think better of people, especially people we've just met, right? Um, but here, that's kind of weaponized against you. And, and I think that that is, like, one of the truly horrifying things about it, yeah. All right. I just hope that, well, it's Danish, right? So it's foreign language through and through. I hope yeah. that this isn't a sign that Hollywood should remake it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually feel like they can. Like, I, I think that there's enough space in the story for it to be remade. But I don't know if, because Hollywood is very actor-centric. And I think that they're going to put actors who want to act their asses off when they watch this, right? Um, but then I think that would make, that would kind of disservice the film. Does that make sense? Because everything, they, they just look like they're normal people. Like, really, like, normal people by salary. But again, um, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't get a remake either. But I think if it does, there's enough room to actually do that. I don't All right. So I think <laughs> now I'm uh, going to talk about my recommendation. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think I should start with a film that feels like it's just two people who are bored and want to make the most batshit crazy and conspiracy spewing film that is both quite heartwarming and bizarre. And that's something in the dirt. And this is directed by the upcoming Moon Knight directors. So that's Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. And I think this film is good. I think that, well, firstly, it's weird. And like, even if I read the synopsis to you, it's probably not going to make as much sense. So it's about neighbors John and Levi, who are both also played by Aaron and Justin, who witnessed a supernatural event with their ashtray in their LA apartment building. And they want to document the paranormal so they could inject some fame and fortune into their wasted lives. So Right off the bat, you might think that, well, this is a parody of a lot of the documentary series or movies that we see in Netflix and other streaming services and like even in television where they want to profit off of a sensationalized event or a paranormal seeming event. And you kind of get the idea that these people are crazy or the people behind them are crazy. But the impression I get from this film is that Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson are so natural in their roles. They have like amazing emotional breath and their chemistry just really works. And it's set in a single location and it deals with a lot of science and physics and like a lot of these real world explanations about geometry and math. And they sort of relate it to the paranormal. And it's like, you kind of just, are along for the ride. It reminds me of Primer, that old time yeah. travel film, also about just two people in old, a location. Old time travel film? Was it not 2000? Okay. <laughs> 2004, right? 2004, okay. yeah. Relatively old. <laughs> Relatively old, to be fair. You were how old then? I was three years old. I think. Three, okay, so yeah, sure, it's old. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So 
it's very vast intellectually and I guess you could say visually, but it still feels like, you know, it was shot by your friends who just graduated from school. So I think that's the most endearing part of this film. Like, it's a quarantine film and it feels like it's Aaron and Justin throwing out all of their indie spirit out there before they eventually take on the tall task of the responsibility of directing a very huge Marvel show that a lot of people are excited for. Me included. I'm sure JC Ross included in the people who are excited for it, which is Moon Knight. I think they are really talented directors. And I hope that Marvel gives them creative freedom to go insane with Moon Knight because if this film is any indication, I think they are incredibly talented and very creative. What do you think, Jace? I really love this film, especially like if you're a fan of Justin Ben, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Um, if you see their films like Resolution, Spring, especially The Endless, which I'm a huge fan of, um, I think that you'll realize it's also kind of a meta commentary, even on their filmmaking, like it kind of makes fun of the fact that they do DIY films. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I love this. I think that it says a lot about like documentary filmmaking and about how there are people who also exploit that, you know. Um, I think that it talks also about like the responsibilities of like a sci-fi writer, uh, especially like in an age wherein people will go on Reddit and think that everything there is a fact, you know. Um, I remember talking to them in a press conference and they said something like, someone asked about the QAnon. Like, we're actually in an age where QAnon is a whole thing. And um, they didn't say that it was, like, specifically about that. I think that it's much larger than that, you know. Um, And I think what the film really does well, actually, is it humanizes what would otherwise be, like, super caricature people. Um, One of them is in a... One of them has like a string of criminal records another another one has like a belongs to like an apocalypse believing church you know so i i don't know like this is the kind of film that will easily register as to, to some people maybe as like pretentious especially when all of the sci-fi bombs start to enter and you know you see all of these graphics graphic images um, which they they were really well made like the graphic the graphics are really good i love it too and also i love the editing which is surprise um benson and moorhead they star in their films they direct their films they write their films they lend their films so i think one of them is a cinematographer i forgot who um and then they also edit their films so they edited this while moon knight they, they were shooting Moon Knight, and actually they post-processed this and reshot some scenes after Moon Knight had already concluded or something like that. And to me, that's a titanic achievement, just in filmmaking in general, to be able to balance those things. But at the same time, it's like, it's possible, you know, like, it's really possible to kind of make these big budget films and then these films that you make with your friends. And it doesn't, it, it kind of feels kind of cool, right? I, I don't know, but I'm a huge fan of them. Um, if you're not familiar with their other work, uh, some of the mainstream stuff that they did, they directed a few episodes of Archive 81. They directed a few episodes of The Twilight Zone, uh, an episode of Twilight Zone, I think. Um, so 
you know, if you're interested in their previous work, I think a lot of it is on Amazon Prime or something. Yeah, uh, please check them out. I, I love these filmmakers. Yeah, that's it. All right, Jace, what's your next Sundance film? I am going to be talking about a film that I think a lot of people love in Sundance. Um, it premiered in a different festival. Um, it's called After Yang by Koganada. Um, and I will just pull up the <laughs> description real quick. So After Yang is basically about a family who's when his daughter's, a young daughter's beloved companion, an android named Yang, malfunctions, Jake searches for a way to repair him. Um, in the process, Jake discovers the life that has been passing in front of him, reconnecting with his daughter and wife across a distance he didn't know was there. This is by Koganaga. If you're familiar with Koganaga, um, he's directed other films, um, such as Columbus, um, and, and a lot of others, actually. And he creates video essays, you know, um, from Criterion Channel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you're, this is like visually on a visual level, this is I think a stunning film. It's sci-fi with it's kind of sci-fi, but it's not like declarative in the way that Dune or maybe Aliens or a lot of other sci-fi films are. Not even like Ex Machina, which I think people will kind of compare it to just because of the android aspect to it. But yeah, I, I love this film. I love the costumes. I think this is one of those films that deserves a costume nomination because it really combines like futuristic elements with Asian culture, I think. And also like the acting performances here are so good. Um, it's a film starring Colin Farrell, Julie Bernie Smith, Justin H. Min. Uh, obviously, uh, Justin H. Min is young. And uh, I kind of, there are a lot of interesting questions within the film itself. There's like the question of who counts as a human being? Um, why is this, why is memory important? If we can record everything, if we can record everything, what is important? Um, and what does it mean to form like human relationships with objects that are supposed to be inanimate? You know? And how sometimes like the things that you don't expect to be human, they're actually more human than the humans themselves. Um, I think that all of those big questions are packaged within like this almost family drama and yeah, it's overtly it's, it talks about science fiction stuff without being alienating I think that there are sometimes that you know science fiction elements really alienate you and I think this has one of my favorite title cards um I think it when will it be out have you checked like when it will be out uh, it's being I'm actually not sure but, but I know that the A24 trailer is out yeah and lots of people are excited yeah okay so it, it'll be out in March 4th, 2022. Yeah. Um, in the US. I mean, I'm not sure about here yeah, in the US. Yeah, but no. So, yeah, I think that because, like, Yang is a robot that was created to help their daughter sort of assimilate into society and learn about her heritage. But then later on, Yang kind of becomes a crutch for their daughter. And um, later on, we learn stuff about Yang that is sort of atypical for they're for robotic family members such as Yam and I, I just think that it's a great film. I genuinely think that it's a great film. And it's beautiful, Ryan. It's it's beautiful in a way that you don't you never feel like any of the elements are separate from one another. 
you know, sometimes I feel like, for example, Dune is great. Like, it's a, like, oh my God, the cinematography, you know. But I think this one, like, all of the elements exist together. And you can really write video essays about the film itself, about how it's composed, about the architecture. It's also beautiful, like, this production design. And well, I just think that this is the kind of film that would receive a lot more award attention if they actually paid attention to the, the, the details like the like yeah yeah if it were more accessible yeah we'll see actually you know like the premise reminds me a lot of ex machina yeah exactly and but how does it that, hold up like compared to ex machina i think ex machina they're like on paper they're similar like I, I mean, you can see the overlaps, but like in terms of treatment, they're so different. They're so different because Ex Machina was set in like an isolated facility and he was supposed to sign all of these NDAs and all of that. And it was kind of very clear from the beginning that there's like an oppressive force at work, right? You just kind of are trained not to believe in that. Here, there is that oppressive force um, in terms of like state governance, talking about like, what counts as human and what isn't, you know, um, all of these different loopholes that um, that the protagonist has to go to to fix, to help Yang get fixed. But like, I don't know, it's just, it's just like, this is, this is the kind of film that you can watch with your family or watch with your friends and you can still be entertained and it can still be like a thoughtful discussion. I don't know if it's a Friday night film. You get what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a Sunday night film. Does that make sense? What do you usually do on a Friday and Sunday? I don't know. I like a Friday night film is like a, you watch something like Sharknado. I don't know. Like you watch a Sharknado or a Palm Springs or a or a, a or like a or like a genre film that's like really meant to solidly like almost brainlessly entertain. Um, <laughs> you know what? You know what? Can I share? What? In Sinigang, oh. we have this thing where it's Bomba Friday. So every Friday, oh <laughs> watch a Bomba, Bomba film. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, we're going to watch one later. It's The Boat Pan by Ronnie Lazaro. Okay, Also, cool. it's Fab 11 right now. So yeah. yeah, it's Friday right now, actually. But yeah, anyways, oh go ahead. Yeah, you know, that, that's just that's the thing. That's it. That's it for me. <laughs> I, I really recommend Apple Yam um, if you get a chance to see it. I genuinely think it's one of those films that it seems small, but the ideas are very big. And a lot of the things will be missed because of the subtleties. But it's really like something you can appreciate on its own. And it's actually very moving. Yeah, there's a scene later on. I can't talk about the rest of the film without revealing like major plot points. So um, yeah, I, I love this film. I genuinely think it's one of the best films in Sunday. Which is sad because it's not a Sundance film. Like, it's a canon film. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'm really excited to watch this. I hope I catch it because I'm going to go to the US in April. And if this premieres in March, then hopefully it's still playing in my local theater. Yeah. But so. yeah, let's go to the next Sundance film. So for me, I want to talk about Leonor Will Never Die very briefly. Uh, I already oh, wrote okay. a review about this film. So it's by Martika Ramirez Escobar. And it's the Philippines submission outside of They Had Hunter's Daughter in the feature length category. 
right? Wait, wait, which category was this again? Was this the World Dramatic? World uh, Dramatic, uh, uh, World Dramatic Cinema Competition. I think. Yes, and I guess um, it's not a spoiler that both Jason and I really love this film. We both gave it very glowing reviews. And I think Jason's review was featured in the letterbox feature of The Normal Never Die in the Sundance thing that they did. So congrats, yeah. Jace. Uh, I remember that Martika, the director, saw my review. And when she shared it, she said, I made a thesis paper about the film. And she would give you me did. a... <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and she would give a flat uno. Which means the highest grade in UP, because she was yeah. also a UP film graduate. So thank you, yeah. Martika, for giving a flat uno for the review. But this is a film that is pretty much about a love letter to cinema, and there were a lot of reviews, like from Variety, and from Roger Ebert, and uh, Deadline, all those like popular film publication sites who really wanted to hammer home the point that this felt like a really potent and really imaginative tale that shows the power of cinema. And for me, like that is incredibly true. But also, I think what elevates it for me as a Filipino who loves old films, if you've listened to the previous episode, it's very specific about how it's a love letter to old Filipino action films. Yeah. So the FPJs, the Philip Salvador films, the Rudy Fernandez, the Eddie Garcia, all those action stars in their films, a lot of their tropes, a lot of their nitty-gritty aspects, like the technical side, wherein the dubbing is usually horrible, or the cuts don't feel like they are fluid, and the uh, action scenes are sometimes repeating the frames of scenes that already happened. So those kinds of things that Martico is able to incorporate in this film are just magical and they show how it is possible to celebrate these films without being ashamed of them without being derisive or without being condescending and i think it's a brilliant film especially for the fact that it is also meta about all of it there are lots of similarities which martigo also admitted to synecdoche new york the film by charlie kaufman and it's very warranted because the story is about this mother who enters her unfinished screenplay and it's an action film which also sort of serves as a substitute for her eldest son who unfortunately passed away uh, a number of years ago and I guess this film serves as her avenue to sort of reach out to him and sort of find closure for a lot of the things that happened in her life. So this film is really deeply personal and I think the emotionality of it all resonated a lot with the reviewers and the audience members and it's just such a joy to watch. I, I think like you said it best, Jace, like it shows that Philippine cinema can be full of joy and like it, it's festive and it can really be something that is fun to everybody watching it. Like from the people making it, from the people starring it, and from the people watching it, most especially. So it's basically an ode to the immortality of characters etched on the silver screen in Philippine cinema. And I think that's why it deserves that five stars. Uh, what do you think, Jace? I love this film. 
I think I'm so excited for like Filipinos to watch it because I think on a base level, it's just really fun to watch. As in, it's so funny. You kind of miss the action films. I I genuinely believe that we don't really have a lot of action stars anymore. We have a lot of soft boys in Filipino cinema, but not really action stars. I think there's a scene in the film that really addresses that. Um, but yeah, I love this film. I think that the meta commentary is great. I think that this is kind of Martika like at full force. I'm really excited to see like her other feature film work. She actually talked to me about like some ideas that she has for you know future films um which which i can't disclose because obviously um <laughs> interview, interview, interview. i don't know maybe um, she will disclose it when we sort of it. get her maybe soon yeah maybe hopefully, not hopefully, yeah. anyways i think she has she's part of european film market for Berlinale, so i don't know if like she has the time within like the next month or so but hopefully we do get her on the podcast to talk about her her film Martita I, I hope you're listening to this anyway um I don't want to talk about it too much too because I I also am writing a review about it but I I don't know where to publish it yet um but yeah um yeah I love this film all right Jace what's your next Sundance film my next Sundance film is the biggest acquisition I think so far from Sundance which is Cha Cha Real Smooth I am so Cooper sad Ray. I did not get to see this I am so sorry I am so sorry. Yeah, they ran out of tickets. Um, so, okay, so for context, Tata Real Smooth is about Andrew, um, who is Cooper Ray, the director, um, who is fresh out of college, uh, trying to, you know, he just broke up with his girlfriend or something like that, and he's trying to, he moves back to his hometown, and he's trying to fit in again, um, and he befriends a local mom named Domino, played by the amazing Dakota Johnson. Um, in what I think is her career best, like honestly, like Lost she had Daughter another, is, yeah, right. Yeah, she had another. Uh, did she have another Sundance film? Yeah, she had um, Am I Okay, which is a film by Tim Navarro. Uh, what then, a year yeah, for her! What a year for her! Yeah, but Tata was made for me. It's like her at her best. It really like Cooper Rape kind of understands Dakota Johnson's charm here. I think, and like it's it's such a. I don't know, it's such a beautiful film and so he befriends local mom and they kind of kind of slowly discover what future he doesn't want and what future he does want. And it's through this, you know, mother and, and her daughter. Um and what I, I think that what's fascinating about the film is that it really shows like the coming of age doesn't end after college. Or like, you know, the c- coming of age stories are continuous throughout life. And I don't know. I, I think that Cooper Rafe, like for uh technically this is only his second film, uh, I think second film, and it's the kind of film that you know it's just a crowd pleaser. People love this film. Um, and yeah, and, and Apple bought it for fifteen million. Yeah, like that's Apple that says something. <laughs> I don't know if there are a lot of people from Apple who would watch. I who are Apple subscribers who would watch this technically. And no shade to Apple. No shade to Cooper Ray, but that also I'm very happy for him because that's a lot of money. Um, but At yeah, what I age? Think, what age is he? Twenty four, right? I think twenty four, twenty four, twenty five. That's like that's like my age. He's a million. He's been a millionaire <laughs> for this, and surprisingly, this is a film that was filmed during the pandemic. You know, it's mostly a two hander. 
um except for like the parties so okay so they meet technically through a bat mitzvah i think um uh, because he's like a hype man at the bat mitzvah because like there are the, the kids don't know how to enjoy themselves in front of adults and eventually like he kind of helps the adults and the kids have fun together and i i just think that like the the setting where it's placed you know like a small town and like a person who has to go back to the province to you know uh because he's trying to iron out his life like i super relate to that maybe that's also why it gets so hard i think this is the first sundance film that made me cry and it's i think one of those things that you know you can just watch it for a good time you can watch it for, for the performances you can watch it for the writing and honestly for the needle drops um it's genuinely affecting and i don't know i just i would really recommend people to watch it uh i don't know if it's like up there at like ladybird for me um but i do think that it's like really wonderful maybe booksmart maybe like booksmart if that makes sense uh yeah that's it this was the film that pissed me off because it was sold out at every opportunity like which one the demand chacha real smooth the okay. demand for it was insane and yeah. recently i watched shit house and this was cooper rafe's first feature length film which yeah, also debuted 2020 i think south by southwest yes yeah. yes and i really really liked it and it reminded me of you know my college days in the dorm and feeling helpless and missing my friends and missing my family and you know right now it's in the pandemic in the philippines and i think we're one of the few countries who haven't opened up uh schools yet i don't know why um but basically yeah. it's a film that if you watch you will miss college or if you're in college right now you will find a semblance of truth in it yeah. and cooper reef is good at identifying the teenage language like i love that about his dialogue that mm-hmm. it's so easy to feel like this is definitely what teenagers talk about or this is definitely how awkward it would be if you're trying to leave a room or you're trying to give cues <laughs> that you don't like this person or something like that no. so yeah uh i really hate that i didn't get to see chacha real smooth like Oh my god. But anyways, I'm going to see this in Apple Plus whenever it releases. So, um I'll go through my last three films very briefly. Mm-hmm. So, firstly, I want to talk about Klondike. So, this is a film okay. that I think I don't like and I think you don't like either. Am I right in that? I will not say anything. This is your review. Um, <laughs> please continue. Please continue. Okay. Um, Shade, huh? I would like to write in the talk anyway, yeah. Okay. Um I think visually and cinematography wise I think it's beautiful. Uh the opening of the film is really good. Like it's propulsive. It throws the audience in media stress. So basically it's about the Russian Ukrainian war and it serves as a backdrop to the quaint home of Tolik and Irka which are husband and wife in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine. And basically war just explodes at their doorstep and it's a bleak experience like usually when it's about war right usually it's 
action-packed and gloomy, especially films about the Russian-Ukrainian war. Like I researched about it and saw that the films from 2017-2018, uh, when the Russian and Ukrainian conflict was sort of uh, simmering, which I think right now is at its boiling point, like international relations news. Like, I don't know if you saw the threats of Russia against Ukraine recently, but that's kind of scary and kind of makes this film a lot more relevant. But I just feel that this film is just, the pacing is just so like glacial. And I don't usually, you know, dislike films with a glacial pace. But in the middle part, it feels like it doesn't really hook me in, into the conflict. And it doesn't really present to me a lot of the internal and sort of external conflicts that's happening beyond the frame. I get that it's talking more in terms of visual language and the camera is really careful in how it discerns its surroundings, but it's just boring. <laughs> like that's basically it. Like I think it's boring aside from the opening and the closing. And if it were just that the middle part in it was just a little bit better paced and had a lot more nuance when it comes to how it deals with a lot of the conflict that isn't shoehorned in. Because I felt that there were certain characters, certain scenes that felt like, who are you? Or like, what's your relevance to this? Or like, you feel like you're just an idea to the scene instead of a fully fleshed character. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so in that regard, I guess that's why I might not have liked Klondike as much. So how about you, Jace? Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's the sum of my. <laughs> I want to dedicate okay. more time to the other. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, that's a hate letter. So how about you, Jace? Um, what do you want to talk about? Is it a hate letter or is it a love letter? I don't think it's a hate letter. I think it's um, like just a like a disappointment. I'm gonna be talking about um, Adame Ibo. I think Adame Ibo's um, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Um, which is a short, which is based off of a short film that I really love. I genuinely think that Adama Ibo, that's that, that's their name. Um, I genuinely love the premise. So it's about uh, a couple, um, Trinity Childs and Lee Curtis Childs, from a prominent Southern Baptist church, um, mega church actually, um, who try to rebuild their congregation after a huge scandal. Um, the scandal is alluded to at the very beginning of. It's only addressed like a bit in. Um, what I love about the short film is that it doesn't really address the scandal until it needs to because it's in the format of a mockumentary. So throughout the whole period of the short film, they're trying to hide their sin, kind of. And then when it's time to confess, they can't confess. And I found that very, very like poignant in terms of like commentary on religiosity, commentary on accountability, um, the how you know, how black figures of a particular stature are also like held to the pedestal to the point that they are maybe deemed as impervious to criticism. Um, I think it passes that. But I think that, and I think the performances in the short film were excellent. Um, I think that in the, in the feature film, what I really don't like is that um, the performances were great, but then it felt like they were performing for the 
performances. And I think that the structure itself of the story, because the story isn't just a mockumentary format anymore. Like it's mockumentary juxtaposed against the real life. So there are a lot of changing aspect ratios as well. And I think that that's interesting, but I think it does take away from what I think would be a really powerful film. It's really, it's really fun. Like it's really fun. But I think that kind of the interesting thing about church as a whole is like it's a huge performance too like it right like whether or not people want to admit it they don't really want to they, they really per, church is about performing good acts uh, performing in front of a crowd um you know keeping all of these things in private confines you know and i think that by letting us in too early um, into their private lives i think that kind of shatters the narrative i personally um too early and it doesn't create the profound effect because now instead of telling us who they are and slowly revealing themselves to be like horrible people or something it kind of immediately shows us how people judge them which works in some cases but as a whole like it doesn't work here and i'm actually really disappointed because i changed my sundown schedule for this film um yeah which was kind of sad Regina uh, Regina Hall um, is great in this. Sterling, Sterling K. Brown is great in this. But I just think that, like, as a concept, it was much stronger as a short. And it was much stronger if it kept the mockumentary format. But there's one monologue towards the end that is really amazing. Like, it's so good. It's so fun. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I hope people get to see it. Like, honestly, like, I really do hope people get to see it because it's it's doing something really exciting um it's talking about something that really also like not a lot of people like to talk about like southern baptist megachurches and like the specific culture around that i just don't think that like the execution was up to par to what the short film delivered on i think um yeah and there were a lot of scenes where it, it was talk heavy like it really relied on dialogue when i feel like it was being overwritten yeah that's it that's it for me yeah all right for my fourth film yeah i want to talk about the short so this is dad hunter's sure. daughter which yeah. is the other filipino film that entered in the sundance which congratulations won the short film grand jury prize i know so that's is a that huge feat. eligible for an academy award it is right I think it is, yeah. And I think, like, watching the film, I think it deserves it. The Headhunter's Daughter is by director Don, Don Rafael Eblahan. And Don I think, yes, Don Josephus Rafael Eblahan. And I think it's a poetic euphony about the exigencies of American colonialism and the gradual withering of indigenous cultures. And it's set in a beautiful backdrop of Baguio and La Trinidad. And at the film's heart, it's the story of Lynn, an Igorot who leaves her family behind to try her luck in the city as a country singer. And her motivation for this is so that her father, you know, the headhunter's daughter, can hear it and hopefully listen to it. And I think this film is just beautifully composed. The music is great. It's composed by Eblahan himself. And I think it also is very conscious of 
Eblahan's own personal journey as someone who is of a indigenous root and eventually left the Philippines to go to the US. Like right now, he's in Chicago, right? And I think the film makes a meaningful connection between the intersections of different geographical identities and the kindred oppression of disenfranchised groups. So because it feels like it is conscious of those things, you can feel all of it bleeding through the frame. And it is just so beautiful. Like it has a hazy glow to it, which this is my first Don uh, Joseph S. Raphael Eblahan film. And the hazy glow aspect, I, I didn't know I liked it until I saw it. Like it really makes it feel like you're in a cold, frigid climate. Like even if you don't have an aircon while watching this film, you might feel that the cold breeze from your screen is going to exit out and it's going to like make you feel like you need a blanket or something. And it's just deeply personal. Like the music is personal, the uh, dialogue and the sort of shots are very intimate, even though like there are lots of shots of like the uh, Baguio landscape and all like the buildings and all the structures and all the architecture that has been built on top of it. And, you know, like there's so many things to extract from this film. And it's beautiful because it's just a short film. Yet there's so many things you can say about it. So yeah, what do you think, Jace? I love this film. I, I guess I want to keep it short, but like I love I love this film especially because of how it kind of shows this con this kind of continuous contrast between like commercialism, between uh, colonialism, between uh, indigenous people's like right uh, uh, lives, you know, um, and actually that signature glow like that is in a lot of Don's films and. I think that he does most of the stuff. Like some, he's I think cinematographer and editor and producer also, and, and all of these things. And I genuinely think that like he's one of those talents that really identifies like very specific stories that I don't think I would have thought existed in the Philippines. Actually, um, not not to undermine like the country, but like wow, like he comes up with some really interesting concepts, like even Hilo from last year. Um, yeah, I, I love I love this film. Don, if you're listening to this, like I hope you have a wonderful year ahead of you. Yeah. Alright, Jace, what's your last film? Yeah, my last film isn't a film actually; it's a documentary series. Um, it's called "We Need to Talk About Cosby." Um, I think that over the past few months, maybe even years, that like it's been really rough to wrestle with, you know, what do we do with the art of bad men? And I think that, you know, it's really, it's really difficult because, like, the conversations around Bill Cosby are fraught with a lot of things. Like, it's obviously, it's obviously, he's such a huge figure in television. Uh, he helped people, uh, black stuntmen, like, actually get jobs on sets and, and all of that. But at the same time, uh, it was exactly the power that he accumulated and the persona that he kind of created, um, which, you know, allowed him to have access to his victims, um, alleged victims, apparently, because the 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 the, 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 the jail sentence was rescinded, I think, or something crazy. So yeah, it's 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 wild because it you you know, you really have to talk about it. 
context of like film and television uh, because it's important, I think. But at the same time, like you can also not deny the fact that he also did all of these horrible things. And that is terrifying. I think that a lot of people in the industry do exist. And I think this is a documentary that's actually already available in public. I really hope people get to see it. It's not as triggering as I thought it would be. There are people who will approach this differently um, because some people don't really believe that we should be engaging in the art of Batman. But I think as a critic, like you're kind of forced to, you know, to talk about it still and to help people kind of figure out where they're at by providing them more information. Yeah, I thought that this was just a really powerful documentary despite its flaws. All right. So for my last few films, <laughs> and <laughs> this these, these set of films have already premiered outside of Sundance, so I don't need to talk a lot about them because you can hear and you've probably heard a lot of stuff already heard at them. And that's Worst Person in the World and Happening. So Worst Person in the World nominated for Original Screenplay, right? In the Oscars. Yeah. I am so and happy best for it. International feature. I still think Renate, the main lead in this film, really deserved the Best Actress nomination. Yeah. And aside from that, I think it's a wonderful and vibrant film. There is a scene in it where everything halts except for the main lead. And I think that's one of the most beautiful scenes I saw last year. And I think that it deserves all of the praise it's getting right now. You should go watch it. I think that it feels like it's honest. Like it's honest about the flaws of people. And not a lot of films can get to do that. Like that level of honesty, that level of uncertainty with people and relationships. And I think this film really (laughs) gives a lot of nuance with those kinds of stories. The other film is happening. And this is a good film, but not an enjoyable watch. So it's about a adaptation of a book, right? Before, yeah, like this was, yeah. yes, this was autobiographical, right? Semi-autobiographical. Okay, semi-autobiographical. And it's about a woman, a student in 60s France who uh, unexpectedly becomes pregnant and needs to have an abortion or else like she is going to lose her education, she's going to lose uh some of her connections and stuff like that and it is brutally honest and it's not an enjoyable watch but i feel that it's a necessary watch and i feel that it will take a long time to process this film like it took me quite some time to process this film but i think that it needed to be very visceral it needed to be memorable for a lot of the brutal scenes which involve abortion which involves very uh, sensitive issues with regards to uh, 60s France doctors and uh, 60s France men were very exploitative of women. And I think that it's incredibly necessary to see a lot of those visceral scenes because if not, then how different are we from 60s France? Like, it's incredibly relevant right now. And I think this one, the golden line, right? In Venice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, so, yeah. That's pretty much it for Sundance. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Overall, uh, what did you think of Sundance, Jace? I really hope that they keep the online event so that, you know, film critics like us can get to participate in, you know, the film 
uh, the, the the process and everything. I I hope that also like more people from the Philippines get to watch these films. Uh, yeah, and you know that's always just my wish wish for like more people to really engage with the art and to make up their own minds about it. And the only way to do that is to really get access to it. Yeah. So I hope please, Sundad, if you're listening, please keep the online for. Format, yeah. But also, if you're gonna do face to face, you know, you can pay for our tickets. You can pay for Don't our passes. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, I hope I can. I hope I can. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that does it for our episode. I have to go to a meeting after this. So yeah. outro, outro. Okay. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Drink your water and see you soon, Cinesimps. Bye.